Hello, and welcome back to Backbeat Conversations. On this podcast, we like to talk about all the facets of the music industry and bridge the gaps between them. I'm Julianne Francis, here with my co-host, Elena Henry. Hey, guys. And this week, our guest is Yoshi Horijuchi. What's going on? What's going on? Nothing much. How are you? I am just chilling. Had some coffee this morning. Where glad <laughs> life is not bad. Oh, nice. that rhymes. Can't, com- can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give our listeners a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Yoshi, and I play the bass. Um, I play upright, electric, jazz, classical, occasionally in the rock band, though. That was a lot more of my younger days. <laughs> and um, currently also teaching at a few places, like your college, um, teaching at... UMBC, where I went to college, uh, which is pretty cool to be back to um, where I went to university. And uh, currently also teaching at Peabody, where uh, I also went for my master's and my doctorate, um, which I'm currently still doing now. So I'm kind of in that floating phase of uh, you know being a student and a a professor at the same institution as well but otherwise um play around town i'm based in baltimore maryland um a few times a year i travel to tour with different groups and uh, take my solo act on the road and yeah otherwise just i like eating sushi and, and drinking whiskey it's great <laughs> that actually sounds like that sounds like a fun activity <laughs> so how did you how did you get started playing bass <laughs> Yeah. Um, so prior to actually playing the bass, music has kind of always been in uh, my upbringing. Um, so I was born in Tokyo, Japan, uh, and then my family moved here when I was five or six. And um, and there was really like no plan whatsoever. Um, you know, usually when a family moves with family, they're like, oh, we're going to move because of a job or we have like family there or some sort of connection, like none of that. And uh, so because of that, we are also not prepared to uh, learn the native language of America, English. And so um, what I ended up doing was um, I stumbled across a lot of Backstreet Boys CDs, uh, if you remember what those are. And I, having zero English skills, sang along and mouthed out and sounded out the words that they were singing, right? And those formed, like, you know, my first, some of my first, like, English uh, phrases and sentences. Um, And then, you know, later I would attach the meaning to, you know, like, I want you back, baby, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I grew up, you know, learning uh, English while also singing it. Um, And when it came to um, choir, I always enjoyed singing. Um, And when I got to sixth grade, um, my mom, uh, who signed me up for violin lessons when I was like three or four, and that only lasted for like two weeks. Um, <laughs> she sent me to school with that same sized violin. Right. Um, but I was in sixth grade and the violin was for somebody who was like two or three. And for those of you who don't know, um, violins come in way different shapes and sizes. And so, but like, we didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, like it was still a usable violin. And right. also when I was in sixth grade, I was like, you know, five, five. So I was on the taller side. Uh, when I was, you know, in seventh grade, I was like five, seven. And then I stopped growing in eighth grade, but I was like five, 10 by then. So, um, <clears throat> so I, I, I grew pretty early. 
And um, so my orchestra director instantly saw this um, mismatch of tall person, small instrument, beginner, he's going to play the bass. Because <laughs> an orchestra pretty much always needs bass players, whether it's at yeah. the school uh, orchestra scene or the professional orchestra scene, just everyone always needs a bass player. And so that's where it started. Um, and then I started playing. So that's when I started playing upright bass. And a year later, um, so I, I had some family issues growing up. And so I just like never really wanted to be home. And so because of that, I was always taking um, advantage of every after school activity that I could get my hands on. Right. And so um, at my middle school, where I started playing the bass in sixth grade after school, I would always stay for a newspaper club, fitness club and games club right tuesday wednesday thursday those were the days that after school activities were offered and um i remember at the beginning of seventh grade when um i had a full year of playing the bass under my belt um my orchestra and band director mr crone called me and was like yoshi you're doing the jazz band and i'm like oh well that sounds fun but what what does that involve? Do I have to audition? Is it in school? Like, do I have to sign up? It's like, it's Tuesday, Thursday after school. And I'm like, oh, no, I already have newspaper club and fitness club. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I'm already busy during those times. Yoshi, you're doing jazz band. And he hung up. <laughs> and so that started my electric bass journey. Um, and I've been playing both ever since. Um, yeah. And that's how I got started on playing the bass. So as someone who plays many different styles of music, can you tell us what the big differences between the styles are? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, in ter So I do a lot of teaching, of course, um, and the teaching approach is different, um, at least the way that I approach it. Um, classical bass has a lot more, I don't know, like just rigid structure to it that kind of builds upon the technique, 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 technique. Um, that I don't know, like it's hard to quantify exactly, but if it could be quantifiable, um, it is a less creative approach than that of teaching jazz. Um, and so between, and I'll just focus on those two for, for, for the purpose of this conversation, just because those are the two main types of music that I teach. Um, but when it comes to the learning approach, I mean, the, the biggest difference between the two is, um, of course, you know, when you're playing jazz, improvisation is started off like really early. Um, composition is encouraged really early. Like, hey, write a tune after you understand these chords and how they function. Because, you know, it's one thing to look at and watch somebody making a house out of Play-Doh, right? But it's another thing really getting your hands dirty and like kneading the clay on your own. Like, you know, it's hard to describe how the chords function unless you yourself are molding them in your own hands and really getting access to that feeling, that feeling that only you can experience. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Cause you know, looking at a feeling or talking about the feeling of kneading clay is way different than, Oh, so this is what kneading clay sounds like. Um, kind of like dancing about architecture, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> crisscrossing senses that um, doesn't make sense. Anyways. So a lot of that theory, um, is kind of pushed back in classical bass kind of uh, comparatively. And so um, yeah, it's interesting to see um, 
especially a lot of my younger students who are in like middle school and, and high school, um, the difference between each of my students approach based on if they play just jazz, just classical or both, um, and seeing how much of they, them influencing each other. Um, otherwise as a player, um, I mean, you know, at one point in history during the classical era, right. Uh, a lot of people used to improvise a lot, right? Um, some of the best performers out there were judged based on how they could improvise their cadenzas and kind of respond to how the orchestra is playing and, you know, add their own ornaments uh, and, and whatnot. Um, but now it's a lot more structured. And more often than not, whenever I come across somebody playing an orchestra who strictly just plays classical music, um, they don't do a whole lot of improvisation. Um, and there's a lot of awe going back and forth between classical musicians and jazz musicians. Um, I would often say, uh, hear a classical musician saying, man, I wish I could improv like that dude on stage with the saxophone. And then the dude on stage with the saxophone would be like, hmm, man, like, you know, I really wish that I could, uh, you know, play at the, you know, super nice, like high caliber level as that classical musician over there. Right. Um, so there's a lot of awe and respect going back and forth. Um, and as a player, it's it's funny because th there's a lot of like just you know superficial awe. Um, when I hop back and forth between the scenes, like you know, we all drink the same beer, we all eat the same croutons. Like it's you know <laughs> we're, we're, we're all just people, but behind the scenes, and, yeah. Um, you know, like we all deal with the same bullshit, and and you know, yeah. That contention is interesting because you even notice it like just at a college level, and it's almost like those issues kind of come to a, a head in a way like you see the weird battle it's almost like it it's funny and i mean this might be an unpopular opinion or whatever but i don't know to me it comes out as like elitist almost in a way if that makes sense yeah um and that is one thing that the base world has been fortunate i think to experience way less of compared to the horror stories of elitism i hear from like my violin friends and piano friends and cello friends and flute friends. Um, and I think a lot of it is just kind of encoded in our DNA, um, just basic, I don't know, like survival, the fittest scarcity mindset, like do whatever you can to like protect your tribe and your berry bush and like, you know, like ward away from, um, uh, from other tribes who are not your own, who like are in competition because, for such competitive instruments like the flute or the piano or the um, cello or violin, it's um, there's a lot more demand. Sorry, there's mm -hmm. a lot more supply mm -hmm. and not a whole lot of demand. Whereas I was explaining as um, far as the bass world goes, um, there's not a lot of bass players. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's, it's so, <laughs> you know, it's so big <laughs> and it's so like, uh, Know, like not cool right like you know when you think of cool instruments right you think of guitar and piano and drums and singing right like because what can a bass do right you know like one note at a time like you know ain't nobody got time for that right like, same effort on piano you could be like wow 10 notes at the same time um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, as the, the bass world, 
um, starts filling up with more and more um, people. Um, I don't know, maybe it's hard for me to say because I'm still relatively early in my career. Um, but yeah, the, uh, in the last 10 years or so, people are just getting more and more stop, snobby on the base, which is a little bit uh, discouraging to see. Because um, I don't know, like, I, I guess I, I get it. Like, we are all human. We all need to eat. We all need to fuck. Like, we all need to, like, whatever, right? Um, but as far as, um, I don't know, like that bleeding into like a community, um, it's a little bit frustrating to see. Um, and I, I get it, right? Like there are more people getting degrees and studying the base. Um, and so therefore there are less spots up there on the bandstands or there are less spots up there in the orchestra. Um, you know, whereas only a dozen or two dozen people used to show up for an orchestra audition 20, 30 years ago. Um, I've shown up to auditions where like over a hundred people have, have auditioned and, you know, despite uh, practicing three to five hours for like almost 10 years at that point in my life, like I didn't get past the first round of an audition. Like it's, it's insane. The competitions out there and it's great first off, like, cause you know, like to, to be able to see somebody play at that level is like amazing and inspiring. Um, but sometimes that power is not necessarily taking with that, level of responsibility as well in bringing a community together and being warm and making music approachable. Um, Cause it is really easy to get caught up in the, the, the velvet carpet and the, you know, the, the fancy shiny culture. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, between education and performing and whatnot, it's common nowadays for musicians to have, more than one job so for you it's you know teaching and performing so how do you balance those two things yeah um well i often am lucky that i'm able to teach a lot of the songs that i know um probably of all of the songs that i teach to all of my students like there's five percent of those songs that i have not played before Mm. Um, the other 95%, when I'm teaching those songs, um, it's kind of like I'm practicing those songs. Um, and, you know, sometimes literally I am practicing those songs, like, you know, if and when I'm playing and accompanying my students, you know, on the bass or piano or whatever. Um, but also just approaching and thinking about how to teach the songs is kind of the, a different side of that Rubik's Cube um, that you didn't really discover before. You're like, you know, when you're playing it, right? And when you're composing um, using chords, uh, like we were talking about earlier, you know, you look at the Rubik's Cube and you're like, oh, there's like a green side and a yellow side. And I'm like, okay, all right, this cube is green and yellow. But by approaching it from a teaching point of view, right? Like, how do I explain it to somebody who is less familiar with it? Um, you start to see it in a different angle and you're like, oh, snap, this Rubik's Cube is also purple or whatever i don't know i don't actually i think purple is not a color on a rubik's cube but you know there's you know th there's a whole side of it that you didn't understand before but it's all the same rubik's cube right it's all the same autumn leaves or it's all the same twinkle twinkle little star right um it's the same song but you just kind of start to see a different side of it that you didn't see before um so it's nice trying to balance between the two and i'm quite 
uh, uh, to, to be honest, really lucky to be able to have a lot of work in performing and teaching, right? Two fields that feed off of each other quite well. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my musician friends, they um, have quote unquote day jobs, which you know, like, I don't have a huge problem with that when, you know, describing themselves, but when used in a way that makes a musician less of a musician because you have a day job, that's what I have a, an issue with, I think. Because, I mean, you know, like a musician is a musician is a musician, you know? Yeah, like, you know, so, some of the best people that I know, um, who some of the most amazing musicians that I've played with, they have quote unquote day jobs. Um, I'll never forget, I was playing a trombone in a just, um, uh, like a chamber music jam, like we would just get together um, and just jam and set read um, like you know, string quartets and like piano quintets and piano quartets and stuff. And I had played with and or taught with most of the musicians um, that I was jamming with, except for one person. Um, <clears throat> and he was a pianist, but he didn't make his money playing piano. Um, he was a doctor full time. <laughs> Um, was married, had two kids who he brought who were really cute. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, it was interesting. Like he had, he, he was ve a very serious person. Um, and, you know, you could tell that he was super serious um, with piano and continues to be because he just crushed it. It was just super inspiring to play with him. Um, and um, yeah, and there are people who have multiple degrees that have studied with piano that weren't as inspiring or. I don't know, like to, to me, weren't, weren't as, as uh, great to play with. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Like a, a musician is a musician is a musician. Like if you can play, if you're great to work with, like if you got the spirit, you know, then that's great. You know, pl plus a, a lot of the um, people that I play with in the, um, I, I play in this one improvisatory hip hop collective <clears throat> in Baltimore called the Baltimore Boom Bap Society. And most of the MCs there, they have day jobs, right? This isn't their full-time gig, um, but that doesn't make them any less of a musician, I think, because um, you know that goes back to that elitism that we were talking about earlier. If you are considered only a musician because that's what you do for a living, then inherently, right, there's going to be a whole lot more full-time musicians um, in you know the world like classical music, which is just a lot of white people, right? Because, you know, it's like white people, music written by white people for white people, right? Run by white people. And so, you know, of course, that has a lot of roots with, you know, um, segregation and a lot of roots of just like working off of the backs of the people that, you know, Westerners have exploited over the years. Um, and so, you know, that's a whole lot of um, issues that I think that mindset of, you are only a musician if you work full time as a performing musician. Taps into because, like, yeah. if you're if you're a musician in your heart, then you're a musician. If you work at a restaurant during the day to be a musician at night, what does it matter? Does <laughs> right. that make you less like that's so that's so right. silly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and I don't know. A lot of it is just um, the a lot of the people who do win these jobs don't know much better. I mean, they're afforded lives growing up that were you know like put them in super sheltered positions that made them you know like not really realize that other people have different experiences where they don't have violin lessons starting at age two um every week or twice a week and they don't have the best instruments or the best teachers um growing up and they didn't get to go to 
you know, summer camps that cost thousands of dollars every year. They didn't go to get to go to winter camps and they didn't get to miss school because, you know, at age like 12, they were touring Europe with their youth orchestra. Like, you know, it's you know, all of these things cost money. And, you know, and of course, like at least in America, right? Like money has not been fully circulated yet. Right. Um, between uh, all the different um all the different classes of people in the eyes of the you know US government and history and how history has deemed you know people more or less worthy than you know of for money but yeah and then you know that of course gets into a whole different conversation right <laughs> <laughs> which you know it, it's good to talk about for sure um you know good yeah. to talk about why we are where we are right mm-hmm. yeah you have to reflect in order to change anything you have to understand the reasoning behind literally any decision and any event to then yeah. fix the future. Yeah. I like that you pointed out that aspect of like it's how it's bled into the music industry because I, I think a lot of people think of just the arts in general of like, oh, you won't make money, you won't be successful, you'll be poor. Like that's like a, a poor person's job, you know, like you know, a lot of people see it that way, but like you just explained, there are plenty of instances where that's not the case. Like it's the same as everything else. Like the same problems exist in the music industry that exist everywhere else. Yeah, I agree. Like tell that to a coal miner. You know, like as unfortunate as that you know industry has declined, is continuing to decline. Right, like. A lot of people, I'm sure, went into coal mining thinking like, oh, this is a stable job. Everyone's always going to need power, Um, you know, and then it was slowly and surely circulated that like these coal miners are producing uh, are producing a a product that produces energy at the cost of environmental health. And so, you know, but I mean, I'm sure like Joe Schmo, you know, the head foreman at the coal mining camp in wherever they have coal mining camps. <laughs> you know, like, wasn't thinking about that when, you know, like dedicating his whole life and now he's got a family and, you know, it's, it's like hard to, you know, like shift and, and pivot positions um, in such a field. So yeah, it's interesting to think about when going into it as a career. I always think it's interesting because in college we played in a rock band with this kid who was an engineering major and clearly did not want to be an engineering major. He really wanted to be, a guitar player he wanted to be in the music program but his parents are like well you're not going to get a job but i think it's interesting that that happens a lot because like there's like way too many teachers right now but no one is telling kids not to go to school to be a teacher like there's way too many like early ed teachers or whatever and no one ever tells anyone who's like i want to be a fifth grade teacher like to not go to school for that like well you might not get a job and i just think it's so weird because it's like every every job Going to school has an opportunity cost. So like every job, there's a chance you might not get it. So I don't understand the like continued insistence of parents to not send their kids to school for music. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that's going to slowly change as generations turn over as like, you know, millennials start becoming parents of people going into college and as Gen Zers, as, um, as they slowly also become parents as well of people who are going into college. Um, you know, people uh, like baby boomers and Gen Xers um, are of the mindset of like, college is important. Like, it doesn't matter what you get your degree in, um, just, you know, like, get a degree. Um, and it's because like, that's what 
they experienced. Like they're like, if you get a degree in whatever, the whole world is open to you, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so because of that knowledge, and you know, like we're sixteen, we're seventeen, like you know, we're we're gonna listen to our parents, you know, and we're gonna listen to a whole community of people our parents age for wisdom because we think they know better and generally they do um but you know in many instances um like social progress or college <laughs> i think you know they, they don't necessarily hit the nail on the head every time um right. but you're right um i mean you know sa- same thing with like studying psychology or sociology or whatever you know like these are things that are important to consider and um while i think is not it's not a bad thing to study it's not going to necessarily lead to a job nor do they have to be mutually exclusive right um like in the case of um the the doctor pianist that i was playing with he, i mean he studied music in college because he loved it because he believed that it was you know like good for his soul it was good for his community you know it was a good way to have an expressive outlet um and he became a doctor right um, cause someone's got to pay the bills. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, similarly, you know, if you study sociology because you truly, um, appreciate and love the study of how humans interact and how society has evolved or, you know, whatever aspect of sociology that you like, but you also study computer programming so that you can have like a cybersecurity job, like that's great. Um, and it's each of the, I think the, the quote unquote soft sciences and uh, the arts are kind of included in there. Um, Mm -hmm. while they don't necessarily have super high job prospects, um, it's important to study because it makes us well-rounded individuals for, for when we do go out and make money in whatever field, whether it's in those subjects or not. Um, and it makes us, you know, that much more likely to volunteer our time on the weekends, um, because we have a stable job that affords us to do so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, go, go and pay back to one of the things that we were talking about earlier though. Um, it's interesting, you know, living in a time of, uh, how a lot of things are just online now and, um, there's still groups and organizations that are forming, um, that I see. And at this point, right? Like if you're at your school and you're playing kickball, you only have the kids that are there at that point in time in a recess to choose from, to be on a team. Right. But now like you can pick from anybody in the world, which is crazy. Like, you know, like there's, you know, a silver, uh, one of the silver linings in this pandemic is like, we're afforded to be able to work with anybody we want in the world um, at an equal playing field. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, well, as long as they have internet and technology. Right. Um, But um, you know, that flexibility is afforded to us now. And it's so interesting to me that like, there are still groups being formed that like, still don't have like at least a woman and or a person of color like you know in in that organization um you know if you're like a duet right like that's one thing right but like if there's no set number of you know the amount of people that you have to work with right it's just like you know if you're not doing that you're still doing something wrong like yeah good point yes (laughs) (laughs) i remember um we were doing like because we weren't allowed to have whatever um, recitals, they were showing us like videos from the. Or- um, do you know what that was exactly? Was Metropolitan maybe? Uh, they were showing us videos of orchestra, and Dr. Yeah. Inkster was like, "What do you notice?" And I was like, 
I don't, don't see very many women or people of color like at all. Like you showed me like I think four or five different orchestras and I not enough for me. Like I just think it's weird. <laughs> and I know why it is, but it doesn't mean it's right. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it's interesting actually like the Berlin Philharmonic like you know one of the best orchestras in the world. Um I think it was the Berlin Philharmonic. Um didn't start accepting women until like as late as the 1990s. That seems a little that seems a little illegal. Oh wait, yeah. you said Berlin. Maybe it's not illegal for Germany. I don't know, but Yeah, yeah I don't know either. <laughs> um but yeah, with the, when orchestras started putting up screens so that they couldn't see who they were listening to, um the number of women that were starting to get hired like shot up by like the hundreds of percents. Mm. It's not like a oh, like 10% increase in women or higher, but it's like no, like hundreds because when you combine the visual aspect of it, like, especially in like the quote unquote, like, you know, manly instruments like trombone or bass or tuba or percussion, right? Um, like in a patriarchal society, right? It's um, really easy to say like, oh, you know, they sound good. But, um, you know, when paired with the, the frail frame of a feminine, like musician, right? Like, it's just not the right sound that we're looking for, right? Um, and despite the fact that these were expert musicians, right. Deciding who gets in to orchestras, like, you know, who else, um, who better of a panel of experts to judge, you know, like, is this a, mus- a good musician or not? And they can't decipher between like what they're hearing versus what they're seeing. You know, that's like how backwards, you know, indication an indication of like how backwards a society is and how far along while we, you know, have come, right. We still have yet to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, especially in, like, movies and stuff, like, you always hear about, like, oh, the look. You don't have the look. Like, with music and TV and stuff. And the look has always been rooted in racism. Because it's, like, what look? What do you mean? People all look different. Like, (laughs) and when they say that, it's, like, thinly veiled. Like, oh, you're not skinny. You're not white. You're not a man. Like, it's, like, it's just, it's just a socially acceptable way to say you're not the standard skinny white person and that is slowly starting to change but like it needs to change faster and better (laughs) yeah and it's i've noticed too it's a weirdly enough it's a height thing too because i am by no you know purposeful decision making of my own obviously white and skinny (laughs) but i'm under five feet tall so when I was younger, I was like, maybe it'd be cool to be a dancer. And my favorite kind of dance was tap. Well, what are, what are things you can reach for when you're a dancer and you like tap? The Rockettes. You want to know how tall the Rockettes want you to be? Like 5'10", <laughs> at least. Sorry. They got two casts. They got a short cast and a tall cast. Short cast is like 5'10 to 5'11". Tall cast is like six feet and up. So like... But that's like, that's like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. Because how tall you are does not determine how good you are at things. (laughs) Insane. Standards are so insane. It's like, I don't, they're just arbitrary. A lot of them. Especially in music. Yeah. Also, Yoshi mentioned something. Who decided that trombones and basses and basically like almost any horn instrument even guitar. Who decided all those things were boy instruments? Like somebody needs to tell me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's 
history first off right just historically the more the farther back we go the more like you know caveman standards and, and rules we live by right and so um starting with the bass because it's a big instrument you need to be strong yeah. to carry it and play it and who's strong a man right so i think that's where that came from <laughs> um same thing with like tuba and trombone they are of the bigger instrument uh groups and so you know like similar mindset um and the french horn and trumpet um often they are i think like and this is a part of it this isn't like you know the end all be all explanation um but the horn instruments i mean um they are often related to war mm. and same with percussion mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so like when moving your troops right like who better to corral them than a fellow dude right into battle right yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, I think that's where that came from. Um, similarly, right? Like, you know, the the small skinny flute is for small skinny women. You know, that's more of a you know, it's got a high sound. It's of you know, air, right? Um, harp, same thing. I mean, harp, despite that it's big, it's got a lot of um, like a soft connotations throughout history. Like, you know, who plays harp? Baby angels. Right? Does 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 a man want to be a baby angel? No, a man wants to go to the gym and eat creatine and it's like you know, like of <laughs> course, right? Like you know that that's that's what a man wants to do, right? So I don't want to play the harp if I'm a man, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, I, yeah. I think that's where a lot of those those uh, ideas came from. This is a side note, but you said harp, and I was watching a concert the other day, and for the first time, I saw someone play like a portable harp. Like she was like walking around with it attached to the front of her, and I was like, "That is so cool! That is so badass!" <laughs> it was like a Lady Gaga concert too, so it was like just Lady Gaga was like, That's... "I want a harpist who walks around," <laughs> like, and That's she was so, so cool. Sorry, that just you said harp, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that." <laughs> so I have a question for you that's been kind of related to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, mm. Because on this podcast, we like to point out how all the parts of the industry connect. So in your opinion, is higher education important to be a good musician? Mm, no. <laughs> and, and I say that as a college professor. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's not. I mean, I, I think it can be a good stepping stone. Um, but I think a lot of people look for things in higher education that are not the things that you should look for in higher education. Um, for example, um, one of the most respected bass players in the classical bass world, um, Ali Yastinfar, uh, does not have a music degree. Um, he went to Johns Hopkins University, studied physics, was like something crazy, like second in his class. But he played bass for fun, right? But a lot of people's play bass for fun, you know, is better than, you know, people who take bass, quote unquote, seriously enough to study it and, you know, become a major in school, um, which, you know, that, that does, like you're, you're paying for a product, right? Like anyone can pay for a product, especially with loans that people are giving out left and right, right? Like being a music major, I think doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, it's like, you know, buying a car doesn't mean a whole lot. Great. Everyone has a car, right? You can buy it. Anyone can buy it. Um, but anyways, uh, he would play bass throughout his undergrad studies while studying physics at Peabody, which is like the partner music school of Johns Hopkins. Um, and he would just crush it every week. And um, he graduated and he was like, oh, man, well, I feel like I'm good at this bass thing. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get a master's degree. So mm-hmm. auditioned to get a master's degree, got in, stayed at Peabody. And before he finished, he started winning full time jobs left and right. And um, he, he got to the point where actually like he won the uh, San Francisco uh, Symphony principal job, but they deemed him too young. So they were like, all right, sorry, you're not going to win this. 
And uh, he won Houston, he won National Symphony Orchestra, and uh, he eventually settled uh, being the principal of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, where he currently resides in, uh, in Montreal. And so, and yeah, he doesn't have a music degree. Um, and while, uh, you know, he is definitely an exception, um, he is an example mm-hmm. of like why you don't necessarily need one. Mm-hmm. Um, for most people, um, I would say the things you should look for in music school, one, um, the time and freedom to develop your craft, right? Like if you're in music school, hopefully, like if you want to be a performer, hopefully you're practicing for hours a day, right? Um, whether it's like with a band or by yourself, right? Like take, you know, however much standard, right? That you need to meet to make it and then increase it by a couple. And that's how much you need to practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not doing that, like, I don't know, like it's like you're enrolled in med school, but you're not reading the textbooks, right? Um, so like develop your craft to make connections. Um, a lot of the people that I went to school with are people that I work with. Um, a lot of people that I uh, went to a summer festival with um, and went to like, you know, outside like internship and stuff and, and jobs like that I started uh, when I was in undergrad in like the world of music, when I was like a lowly intern, right? Like these are the same people that are giving me gigs and hooking me up. Like the reason I was able to start teaching college while I was a senior in college um, was because of a job that I got two years prior when I was a sophomore. Like I started teaching at a community college when I was 21. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, like, not to say that you have to be this extrovert, you know, to um, make it in the music world to make like, you know so many connections. Like you do have to interact with people in order to make it, right? Um, yeah, and three, like get out into your community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you are going to school in New York or la or houston or even baltimore or dc right like there are vibrant music scenes because of the fact or in philly um because of the fact that like we're closely located next to metropolitan areas right Um, which generally have bigger art scenes um but if you go to school in like i don't know middle of nowhere like oklahoma right or like utah not to say that you can't develop a um a scene or get your feet wet in a scene out there, but there is just quantifiably less of a scene. Um, and there's when there's less of a scene, right? It's a lot harder to break in because there are a lot less revolving doors. Um, and so when you're going to school, um, I think a lot of people fail to take into consideration just like what's around them. Um, and the internet, you know, has kind of once again evened things out, right? So, you know, gigs and jobs and work now is accessible to um somebody living in dc almost to the same similar level to that of somebody living in wyoming or montana you know um so those are i I think three main things that people should look into um getting out of music school one like developing your craft right whatever it is that you will do after school um two making connections with the people that you're going to school with. Right. Um, and your professors as well. Right. Um, and three, like getting in touch with the community that way, like, you know, even if you know, you're going to move later, like you're not afraid to go down to the local bar and say, 
you smell like a musician. Can I buy you a beer? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and, and opening those doors, please don't actually do that. But. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, the, the things um, I think people are wrong to look for in a school. Um, good grades equal career. Not to say that you shouldn't like, like, please go to class, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's and, and please show up early to to, to class. Um, but like, you know, just because you have a three point five GPA doesn't mean you have a three point five life. Um, and you know that that's not what's you know going to um, get you out there. And and school is just the degree, and it's not the the end all be all. It's not the solution. It's a seed. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think. I think a lot of people stop searching beyond school, which is what I think one of the main concerns is. If you are looking to maximize the value of your home by making the exact right improvements with no money out of pocket and by taking advantage of a marketing plan that's proven to get you the highest value for your home, call Shannon DiOrio with Next Level Living at Compass. The office number is 610-822-3356 and Shannon can be reached directly at 610-246-5945. So because you're a teacher and we kind of almost like got close to to this sort of weird uh, point of contention that happens a lot in academia, I just want to see what you might say about it just out of curiosity from the standpoint of a teacher and somebody who's still in college you know we just talked about you know if you want to be a performer practice a lot and all that stuff you know a big part of the performing world isn't jazz or classical and i know you don't really play you know popular music a lot but i've noticed a lot of people nowadays saying okay i'll i'll go to college but it's not because I want to be a jazz or classical music musician. And, you know, I believe in me, but why don't my teachers believe in me? Why aren't my teachers giving me the tools to get to where I want to go? So I don't, I don't know what that weird little issue is, but it's just something that I've been noticing like more and more. And it's odd. Yeah. Two things come to mind. Uh, one, a lot of teachers, I mean, if you just look at their work, um, and their resume, um, they are, uh, professional institutioners, um, <laughs> meaning like they went to school, they got a couple of degrees and then they immediately went into reselling that degree, right? Like in a way, a lot of professors are like just salesmen, right? Like we have to like sell the idea that this degree is worth it. Right. Um, despite not seeing a whole lot of applications. Um, and especially like, I mean, early on in a career, if there's a lot less practical experience and a lot more like theoretical education experience. Um, that's a big red flag right there. Like just, you know, the, if you haven't worked in the field, right? Like it, that, that's a bad kind of, kind of a red flag that why are you training people to work out in a field that you have not worked in? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, be, um, institutionally. Um, I think because there's a lot more of quantifiable, lineage and um a lot more like just financial support that fancy rich people are willing to donate to right like you know classical programs um as opposed to like pop or hip-hop like programs right um there's there's not the institutional money support 
to study programs. And so because um, a lot more classical and jazz programs are respected by rich people who are supporting these programs, uh, that begets more classical and jazz programs, which hire people who play classical or jazz music who don't play any other kinds of music and who aren't open to exploring um, and who uh, enroll students in a program that's revolved around what a lot of people need as a classical or jazz curriculum. And so if a bassist that just wants to play metal rolls in, right? Like they're kind of like stuck a little bit, you know, in terms of, you know, like what they have to do to get a good grade. Um, to be able to pass through this program to, you know, have a piece of paper that says, Hey, I'm a bachelor of musician. Hire me. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's those two things um, that are, uh, that, that are interesting. I mean, the same concern has been cited about fiddle music. Um, like one of uh, Mark O'Connor, he's a, a, a famous fiddler. Um, one of his big concerns with, institutional like music studying um is uh you can't study fiddle music like at least get a degree in it like you can with classical or jazz um right and so yeah there are programs that are opening up now that um are starting to offer that like uh one of my friends um brad phillips um he's got a program out there in michigan somewhere i think um that's starting to actually uh, teach folk music. I forgot what the program is actually called, but it's like, you know, you can get a bachelor's in classical, bachelor's in jazz, and bachelor's in like, I think it's like contemporary American literature or something like that. Um, okay. Which is like fiddle music, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting because, you know, I, I know that there's plenty of like jazz degrees and classical degrees, and those are great. If you want that, go for that. That's amazing. But it's just, Something I've noticed, so you know, now with these, like, we, me and Elena, our music industry and recording technology students, nowhere in the name of that is there a style of music. But the two that are most heavily pushed upon us are jazz and classical, which is just something I find interesting. And, you know, luckily, in case anybody didn't know, Yoshi's my bass teacher. And luckily, when I said, hi, Yoshi, can I play a rock song? He was like, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> That, you know, it's not everybody, but they're, you know, I don't mean to just like call out York College, but also a little, a little bit. I love, I love you, York College, but, but It becomes anyway. frustrating because um, I know I went to my teacher and I was like, hey, I love the skills I'm learning. I love learning to sing all these different things. Yes. But I want to be a really good rock singer. And he was basically like, I don't know how much I can help you. Other than like teaching you like the th the with the pedagogy that I know coming from very classical place like I don't know how how rock specific I can get and like he does try he's very good about that but it's like you know when you're on your fourth hour of trying to sing classical German you're like I could just be singing something else <laughs> like I could be putting my time elsewhere but I've been in this room for four hours trying to figure out why that one note doesn't sound the way it should. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So collecting all of that together, what do you think about the music industry right now? <laughs> <laughs> Big mm. wide question for you. Yeah. Uh music industry as it relates to like jobs or just like the music scene, which anything not. you want. Yeah, however you want to take it, like whatever you, you know, 
feel feel passionate about, feel opinionated about, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just my biggest thing is what we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, a musician is a musician is a musician. Um, I think the most important thing is like I don't know, music is and should be and was created for the people, right? And so, if you wanted to get into music, great, get into music. That's awesome. Um, you know, if you're looking for status, you know, maybe that's a little bit of what's offered there. Um, although like use your powers for good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, like the, the music scene, I think is slowly, um, starting to call itself out, which is nice, right. Between various scenes, um, especially ones that have, you know, a lot more of a root um, in, you know, like exploiting other people, right, um, and flourishing off the backs of you know different like uh, people of different colors or women, and um, so I think that's good to see that that progress is happening, you know, to some level. Um, as far as the industry goes, yeah, I mean, it's kind of in a always state of flux right now, right? Um, a lot of people pushed aside the works of John Cage and even like Stravinsky, right? Um, who's a little bit more palatable than a lot of John Cage's works, I think. Um, but, you know, back then, that was like the hip hop or jazz or folk music right now. Like, you know, why should we teach Stravinsky when we have... Um, <laughs> Mozart and Bach, who are just like amazing, and you know Tchaikovsky, who only came like you know like a few decades before, right? Isn't Tchaikovsky contemporary enough? Like you know, isn't that enough for you people to want progress mm -hmm. in your musical studies, right? You know, but now like everyone studies John Cage and Stravinsky at least to some extent, right? And um, so yeah, it's just same shit, different year, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're always going to grow um, and. Like I love being in the music world because I, I don't know. I like I, I like playing different kinds of music. I'm, I'm like eating different kinds of food. Um, I like meeting different kinds of people, and I like swimming in different kinds of swimming pools. You know, it's like it's all um, it's all really exciting to see what the world has to offer musically. Um, and for me, like I, I'm not super worried about having a job in the world of music. Um, just I, I think because of the fact that my flexibility and curiosity will always allow me to at least like be open and try my best. Right. Like, um, Elena's voice teacher. Um, but yeah, if you're like, you know, stuck with a tradition of just like, you know, this is the one way to make music and I will make music only this way. Um, IE hyper specializing. Um, there is room for you, not a whole lot of room, but like, you better be really fucking good. Like straight up, if this is what you want to do, like this one thing and you don't want to do anything else, great, freedom, do your thing, right? But like, don't expect to get there if you're like not practicing five, six, seven hours a day, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> otherwise, like, you know, I mean, not don't, not don't be angry, but like, you know, you have no justification to be angry. Like, you know, you should only be angry at yourself, right? Instead of pointing your finger at, you know, other people. Um, which like I, I do see a lot. And so, yeah, either be hyper flexible or, you know, hyper specialized or, you know, some mixture of both. Yeah. That's interesting. I always, 
I feel like I could never hyper do something because I would always get bored. <laughs> I feel like that's a very special type of person who can be like, I'm going to play this style of music. I'm going to get really good at it. Cause I'm always like, well, what if I did something else? And I tried this and I sing this. Like, I just feel like that's a very specific special type of person to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I feel the same way. Like the reason why I have chosen the uh, hyper flexible route is, um, is because uh, I have a short attention span. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely a, you know, but know that self, yeah. right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Know, know your abilities. So I have a question for you. We do this every, um, every show. It's called our shut up and let me do it moment. And basically it's in the music industry. We feel like there's a moment of unexpected validation where you realize like how much you've grown. You can be like, shut up. I got this. I can do this. So can you tell us one of your shut up and let me do it moments? Hmm. I know there's like millions. <laughs> you gotta pick. <laughs> no, I the, quite the opposite. I'm like, have I ever had that moment? <laughs> oh, no. I've definitely been in moments where, like, even if it was just like to yourself, it doesn't have to be an out loud. Shut up and let me do it. No, like that. That's, that's, like, <laughs> I'm having trouble thinking of one. Uh, let's see. So anyway, every moment is like, all right, let's do this. This is fun, right? For for the most part. Or, you know, like sometimes it was like, oh man, I don't know, can I do this? <sighs> here we go, right? But like very rarely, like I'm struggling here. Very rarely do I have an internal moment of like, shut up, I got this, let me. In, in terms of music, right? Like if I'm playing like Super Smash, you know, that's a different <laughs> story, right? Like I have many of those moments where like I look at, you know, how other people play, I'm like, I got this, you know? Um, but Ultimate Frisbee also, man, like everything that I don't do like professionally, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why yeah right yeah you're right like a lot less <laughs> um, yeah but you know then again i'm also competing with a lot of other amateurs which you know vary in in range uh as well but oh okay so um let's see uh just a little bit um backstory i i grew up um not in a great family situation like you know uh, for the most part my mom uh raised me and my brother um as a single mom and we spent most of our childhood um, in like various studio and one bedroom apartments um, that were like pretty crammed uh, because of the fact that we didn't have a lot of money. And so um, I, I remember, I don't know if I should be ad admitting this somewhat publicly, um, but when I was five or six, like when we first moved to the States, like the money situation was so bad that uh, my mom and dad were like you know, arguing about money. And I'm like, I got this. Like I had this like, brilliant ingenious moment where like you know i took a piece of paper and a yellow crayon and took my mom's like wallet took out a five dollar bill and started drawing a five dollar bill <laughs> on this piece of paper and then cut it out and like gave it back to her and i'm like and i went as far as to like you know and what five or six year old thinks about this like you know saying like listen this looks like a five dollar bill and i was super proud of my, my like yellow crayon five dollar <laughs> bill that i just drew right um and I'm like, but just to make sure that, you know, like, uh, they don't notice it, you have to put it in a stack of $5. <laughs> so that it's not like the single, like, you know, what five or six year old thinks about that, right? Um, so because of that, you know, like, you know, like, I was like, man, we're struggling for rent. Um, and like, you know, sometimes we didn't have water and sometimes we didn't have electricity. And like, often we didn't have a whole lot of food in the fridge um, beyond just like condiments and like crackers. Um, and so I'm like, what can I do to make money? And so one of the things that I 
learned that I was somewhat decent at was, you know, like playing the bass. And my mom had this old beat up guitar that I practiced on at home because I couldn't afford an instrument at home. And so because of that, like I learned how to play guitar and thank God for ultimateguitar.com. This is not a sponsorship, <laughs> but seriously, right? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I learned how to teach myself the guitar. And from that, I started teaching guitar, piano and bass lessons um, to like kids in my neighborhood for like, you know, five or $10 an hour. Um, and so, uh, so, and that was like at age 12. And so by the time I um, reached age 22, um, you know, I had been teaching for like 10 years, right? Um, I had gotten up in front of the orchestra a bunch to conduct. Um, by that time, I was like in my third year of teaching um, in West Baltimore, um, in the same neighborhood that uh, Freddie Ray lived in. And, um, and so I had a lot of like classroom experience going into my student teaching where most people didn't. Um, and so my mentor teacher and my supervisor, they were like briefing me on this class. And I'm like, this class, shut up and let me do it. <laughs> and so that was, I, I think, you know, one of the most clear ones. And, and, and I crushed it. Um, I, 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 well, I kind of crushed it, you know. <laughs> um but yeah uh you know as far as um as far as those moments goes those moments go um they're pretty far and few between but i'm uh i'm pretty sure that that was one of them that's cool yeah so i i have a another like super serious question for you are you ready yeah okay what's your favorite food sushi i love the immediate answers that, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's, you know, it's I, I, raw fish and rice, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Asian people love rice, like, you know, and, and um, you know, especially one, one that grew up in, you know, a lot more, like, Asian uh, Asian cr- tradition. Um, and, like, Japanese people like raw fish, and it's, like, literally, it's embedded in our DNA, right? Like, we live around, like, a giant ocean. Like, we, we you know... The, our land was a tiny island that was surrounded by fish. Like, what are we going to eat? Seaweed, fish, and rice. Like, you know, that's what we got. Um, and the people who didn't like it, they died off because they were <laughs> not at the dinner table. You know, not you know, not not meeting people to you know copulate with and reproduce in the next generation. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, do you often pair whiskey with your sushi, or are those two separate events? Mm, separate events. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, although, I mean, I, I have been recently drinking a Japanese whiskey. Um, or so this company called uh, Suntory Whiskey, they have a, um, a Toki line, which is kind of like the Toyota of, you know, that brand. But this is more like the, you know, the, the Lexus BMW, you know, it uh, comes in a nice, nice box. Here. <laughs> and it's got this little Ooh. beautiful. That's very fancy. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. This is not what I consume while I eat sushi. <laughs> <laughs> these are, these I like, are events. I imagine that would be a difference in palate, but I was like, I'm not going to judge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? It's funny that you ask. Like, I, I haven't really tried all that much, like whiskey and sushi. It's not that it's not been available, nor have I been like, no, I don't want to do it. Um, but it's just like it's not come to me. You know, and it's like I, same way I've never tried like mustard and peanut butter on a sandwich right like it's just not like no well maybe that's a little bit 
but you know, but it's just something that's never crossed my mind. But maybe I'll try it. And it's then there's my new favorite. a rule. Yeah. There's no rule, so you can't. Right. But in your I... brain, you're like, I, I. This might be like against nature for me to do these two things together. Right. So I will try it. And I'll get back to you. I'll let you know if I die. Okay. This podcast is is evidence as to you know. My... <laughs> Your state of mind. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh no. So what are your life goals? Um my number one life goal is and always has been um just whatever I do with my time on Earth. Somehow just I don't know if, if this is too arrogant of me to say, um, but at least try to make it better than if I had not lived at all. Um and then whatever vehicle that takes, you know, in my particular case, like music was my way out of a life that was, you know, uh, uh, filled with a lot of struggle um, for me growing up. And uh, so that's the superpowers that I was granted. And I hope to use that for good. Um, you know, maybe if I had a different childhood, I would have, I was always interested in uh, physics and engineering. Um, so maybe I would have, you know, been, a physics or an engineer, uh, a physicist or an engineer, and you know, uh, try to do good in that way. Um, you know, being a an Asian immigrant, right? Uh, being raised by Asian immigrant parents, right? You know, there's like you you have to be a doctor, you know, like you know, it's like it's <laughs> going to be a lot of like you know pressure on on that front. So maybe I would have been a doctor um, in a different front, but like whatever career or um, like life I I lead. Um, and whatever skills and, and powers that I gain, um, I just hope to overall use it for good. Mm. I love it. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a perfect answer. Oh, thanks. You know, that's what I aim for. Perfection. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> there's not really a wrong answer to that question. Like, I say that a lot. Like, no, that's a perfect not. answer because it's the perfect answer for that person. You know, like, there's not a wrong answer to the question. I think there's a wrong answer. Like, have I have we- not yet received a wrong answer. Yeah. To <laughs> what are your life goals? <laughs> what, what are your life goals? Um, you know, to be the next Hitler. Like that's yeah, that, that's, that's, wrong. A wrong that's a bad life goal. That's You're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. I should clarify. I have not yet received a bad answer to that question. There you go. Yeah. yeah. When yeah, I do, I will. Uh-huh. I will be like, oh, <laughs> that was less than perfect answer to that question. Yeah, right. That's yeah. when you say. So we're gonna edit that out. Or you're gonna. Yeah. It <laughs> um, it's okay oh. that you said that. I guess, but we're gonna just like not have that be on our brand. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you have a quote that you really like? Oh no. Oh um, yeah, that's right. Oh no, that's right. <laughs> When he um, laughed, I was like, either it's something that he doesn't want to say, or... <laughs> or... Or he can't think of something. No, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely... The, okay. Well, yeah, it's definitely the first one. Um, <laughs> let's see, a favorite quote. Uh, that one I have to think about, but, like, my, like, first thought that came into my head was, like, just in terms of quotes. Um, so... What, one of the many things that my friends uh, make fun of me for is um, the fact that I cried um, and I kind of liked during uh, watching A Walk to Remember featuring Mandy Moore and Shane West. Um, uh, anyway, so it's kind of like a chick flicky kind of situation. Um, what was that? 
dude's name. Nicholas Sparks novel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't think I know what you're talking about, but now I understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was watching, you know, I, I cried, right? Um, and so, you know, my, my friends make fun of me for that. And they're like, yeah, you know, like Yoshi loves that movie so much. You could probably right now tell me like the very last quote of the movie. And I'm like, yeah, love is like the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. <laughs> so, you know, that's not like my favorite quote, you know, like any like, you know, like what, quote that I try to live by or, or whatever. Um, but it's just, mm-hmm. when you said quote, that's what my mind immediately jumped <laughs> For whatever that's worth. You know, if you need to cut that out mm. from your podcast, I understand. <laughs> you know, put that in the garbage can along with your last podcast guest that <laughs> if you wanted to be Hitler growing up, like you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like that answer. Because sometimes the quote that pops into your head is not like the the one that you heard one time, you're like, that's so profound. It's like the shit post quote or like the, <laughs> yeah. the the john mulaney quote that like lives in the back of your head like <laughs> so yeah what is your favorite album favorite album um yeah it, it changes um my last favorite album was to pimp a butterfly um the kendrick lamar album mm-hmm. yes. um i listened to that shit like on loop for years literally for years like that you know, that was one of the last cds that i purchased um and uh and unfortunately like my car got broken into in like 2017 so it was stolen oh. um but also like i don't know like as, as far as you know silver linings go you know you know i'm like out there somebody is enjoying the cd you know i hope you enjoy it and so that was probably around the time that i like stop listening to it um because it was like no longer in my car um and uh but yeah as far as albums go i think that was my most recent uh favorite album um before that um punch brothers the phosphorescent blues um so that was cool before that um the goat rodeo sessions so that's cool that's uh edgar meyer yo-yo ma uh chris Thiele, and uh Stuart Duncan. And let's see, before that, let's see. Oh, no. Uh, I, f- I forgot the name of the album, but it was a, the, the first Lost Prophets album. Um, and so that was a band mm-hmm. that uh, I stopped listening to uh, because their lead singer was like deemed by the judge who was, um, who was on this case uh, to be like the worst like pedophile that England has ever seen. Oh dear! Yeah, oh, oh yeah. I can't listen to them anymore. Ian, something. I think you told us about oh. that before. If I'm thinking of the same person, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a story that comes up every now and then. That I'm like, I used to love them, but now, like, I've run many miles and I lifted many pounds listening to their music, and I've very you know like driven very very many miles listening to their music, but now like I can. So, um, let's see. Oh, start something. I think that's the name of their album. Um, and then before that, uh, Lincoln Park Meteora. And then before that, Lincoln Park Hybrid Theory. <laughs> um, and then before that, uh, Backstreet Boys Millennium. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first album, I guess. Yeah. 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 There you go. Oh, I'm so glad you said to Pippa Butterfly. That's such a good album. Right. And yeah. he he yeah. like created an album he didn't create like individual tracks mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I love him. 
Yeah, yeah. I so controversial one. Um, damn, the album that came after. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not as good. It's not like it's not like, and despite the fact that that's the one that won the Pulitzer. Yeah, but really, I think to pimp a butterfly won it. Damn was just the um, like the what's it called formality. Yeah, yeah, that was out at the time. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's some good lyrics on that one, but like the formatting of To Pimp a Butterfly was like really interesting. And so was Good Kid, Mad City. Like there was just, there was just so many, the the works preceding Dam were definitely better thought out than Dam was, mm-hmm. which is yeah. unfortunate. But yes, we don't have to talk about that anymore because I love him and I would talk about him forever. But yes, yeah, yeah. Agree, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the thought that I had. I'm like, oh, Kendrick, it's good, but it's not To Pimp a Butterfly. You know. Yeah. 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 Love it. Um, anything you want to say that we didn't touch on before we sign off here on Backbeat Conversations? Um, no. Oh, I, I guess to to touch on um one of the things that I, I thought of kind of later after we talked about it um what you gain from school and values from school um I spent five years in school um getting a performance and education major um despite the fact that I have a teacher certification um I I didn't think that that was like I wouldn't have been unhappy doing it, but that's not, that wasn't my goal. And I was like young enough to, you know, like take a risk to like, just take two off years to make sure that I wanted to like be and do this, like, you know, freelance, like full-time musician thing. Um, so I took two gap years and I started my master's degree when I was, uh, when I was 24, 25. Um, whereas like, you know, a lot of people like Julianne here <laughs> is going to start it. Ooh. No, way earlier than me, making me feel terrible about myself. Nice job. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the value of gap years, um, I think take them. Like, you know, if you don't know what you're going to do, don't get a master's degree and put yourself in debt just because of that, right? Like, jump in the waters, get on your feet. And then later, if you decide that you need a master's degree to strengthen your position or to advance in your field, then get it right mm-hmm. so yeah that, that's one of the things that was trailing uh that i didn't say earlier but for sure yeah yeah all right yeah. well thank you so much yeah thanks for having yeah, me on thank and, you yeah thanks for doing all the work that you'll do it's good <laughs> yeah oh it was really it was really a chore talking to you <laughs> oh well you know that's that's what i hear all the time so thanks for making me feel even better about myself <laughs> no it was excellent <laughs> <laughs> i promise yeah. I promise. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you for listening to Backbeat Conversations. We put out a new episode every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all stream platforms. And thank you to Yoshi Horiguchi for talking with us today. Backbeat Conversations signing off. Like what you hear? Check out Witch Weather, a queer indie punk band wherever you get your music. Yeah.